Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 16, The Goblet of Fire. I don't believe it, said Ron in a stunned voice as the Hogwarts students filed back up the steps behind the party from Durmstrang. Crumb, Harry. Victor Crumb. For heaven's sake, Ron, he's only a Quidditch player, said Hermione. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Terkyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Casper, you went and checked out our venue for the Holyoke show. Yes, I did. I went to Western Mass over the weekend, and it's a beautiful space. It's really lovely. It's right downtown, plenty of parking, and we're really excited to do our live show there. Tickets are on the website, harrypottersacredtext.com, and just click on the big orange button. Vanessa, I want to tell you today about my grandmother. She was an extraordinary woman. Her name was Lily, or Lily in English, but we all called her Muka. And Muka was many things. She was an athlete in her younger days. She was extremely funny. She had a very biting wit. But more than anything, what really shaped her life was her art. She designed gardens. She was a ceramicist. And when I was small, she was a knitwear designer. And she had like tens of women around Holland knitting designs for her. And so when we would stay with my grandparents, a big thing that we would all do, me and my three younger sisters, is we would gather in her atelier and would make things. We'd make art. At Easter, we would decorate eggs and other times we would marble paper. But the main thing that we would do would be drawing and painting. 
And the great prize, if your piece was good enough and it really pleased Muka, she would have it framed and put it on the wall. This was a big deal, okay? When you're eight years old, like, it would be hung up ceremonially. And every year that you would come back, you would see all your cousins and your sisters with multiple pieces of art on this wall. And there was me with a tiny little rectangle (laughs) with something I created when I was five. Like, that was my peak (laughs) moment. And she would always talk so lovingly about my other cousins and how talented they were and how much she loved her artwork. And I grew so resentful. I was like, does no one appreciate me? Do I not matter? (laughs) When, of course, I was spoiled rotten. And so when we were reading this chapter through the theme of resentment, you know, I was thinking there's big resentments and small ones. But I do think at a younger age, especially because we lived in a different country, we lived in England for my grandparents were in Holland, that was a little grain of separation that got kind of planted in my relationship with my extended family because I just didn't feel appreciated, (laughs) even though they loved me very greatly. I really liked what you said about resentment breeding distance. I think that that gets to the thing that I find when I re-listen to our episodes that I say over and over again. Anything breeds more of the thing, Uh right? So like love begets more love and hate begets more hate and resentment begets more resentment because if it's breeding distance and you're not communicating with each other and so resentment can just grow. So it's so important to interrupt these cycles with 30-second recaps. (laughs) Smooth. Very smooth. Thank you. I'm a professional. (laughs) Are you ready? Okay. On your mark, get set, go. I will say the chapters are getting longer, so here we go. The Goblet of Fire really does what it says on the tin. It's all about the Goblet of Fire. We see the goblet. It's in this lovely box. It's decorated. It's amazing. It has these white flames and blue flames. And, um, you know, everyone comes into the the Great Hall. They're celebrating this big feast. um, And then it spits out the name, spits out Crumb. And everyone's like, yeah, of course. So it's Crumb. And Cockcroft's like, yay. And then Fleur de la Cour. And then Cedric Diggory. Everyone's like, yay, we've got our three. And then (gasps) shock, horror. It comes out with Harry Potter. Super well done. I was delaying at the end. I was like, I want to finish on Harry Potter. (laughs) Okay, you ready? 30 seconds. Here we go. Three, two, one. Go. So there's a lot of like, oh, um, Booyah Base, um, you know, is she a Vila? Ron is like, oh, she's so pretty. They don't make girls like that at Hogwarts. And Hermione's like, screw you, I'm hot. And Harry's like, yeah, she's hot. And this isn't exactly in the text. I'm reading under under the text. And there's um, all sorts of like conversation about like, where's everybody going to sit? And the Durmstrang people sit with the Slytherins. And Draco Malfoy is like, uh-huh, I'm the best. That's where I'm going to end. I was Casper. I added color. You did. You did. I mean, there's some of the things, you know, they go down to the hut and, like, visit with Hagrid. And Hagrid is, like, sort of weird about it. He's got, like, pomade in his hair and he's wearing a three-piece suit. The twins grow beards to try to cross the age line. So funny. You know, we should start with the twins because I think, again, George and Fred really show us how to live. So does Dennis Creepy. I mean, I know I say that about everyone. I'm like, live your hashtag Dennis Creepy life. But really, I just think it's so inspiring that the way that they handle this whole situation. First of all, they're like, ugh, we're a few months younger than 17. We so want to have a go. This is the kind of thing that would propel them into a new phase of life, right? This is before the joke shop. And they've lost all their money and a thousand galleons comes with this. This is a strategic choice. Exactly. Exactly. So they're making smart decisions. And then they go out 
within a very short amount of time and put together this potion that would age them. They only take a drop because they only need a few months. So I'm already like, okay, magical skills, entrepreneurial skills, daring. I love it. You're already showing me so much. They jump across the line and Fred goes first and it's like, oh, everything's working out. And then George like jumps on him to throw his name in as well. And suddenly they sprout these enormous beards and they get thrown back 10 feet. You know, that's going to be painful. And the first thing that they do is laugh at themselves. And I just love that because it could have been a moment to create resentment, resentment at Dumbledore, resentment at the older students, resentment at people who might be laughing at them. But they totally reframe the whole situation and they join in the hilarity, even though they're suffering potentially a little bit. Of course, we know there's no long term harm. Madame Pomfrey fixes everything. But I just love the, the way that they handle disappointment. I do think that there's a moment of resentment that they're a little bit too young, but they immediately get into problem-solving mode, so they don't allow the resentment to get worse and to fester. They just interrupt it so quickly. And I think it's okay to feel some resentment in life. I think it's just important to do something about it as soon as you notice you're feeling it. And again, Vanessa, this to me is so connected to the fact there's two of them. You know, it's so easy to stew when you're on your own. But if you're with someone else who shared the experience, it's easy to laugh about it. Like I just think about when you're in the middle of a terrible, you know, you're like rain soaked, you're lost, it's dark, like on your own. That's terrifying and super unpleasant. But when you're with someone else, you're like, this is going to make such a good story. And like, we'll remember this forever. Yeah, I think that that is their superpower. And I wonder if that's Dennis and Colin's superpower, too. Oh, I love that. Right? That they are so positive because they're so close to each other. Yes. I hadn't thought of it until this moment. Also because they're so small and they can only, like, talk to each other. <laughs> no no I, one else can talk to I them. I love that Dennis, like, stands on a chair and still can't see. Ugh. <laughs> um, and I think that Harry, Ron, and Hermione often are in that place. Mm. But they don't quite have that magic that Fred and George have or that Dennis and Colin seem to have that some people have where you're just rooting for the other mm-hmm. person. We see them have resentments with each other. And I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking this through for the first time, but I think that there might be two things at play that immediately come to mind. And one is that there's a power differential mm-hmm. that because Harry is more famous, he has more power. And Harry often doesn't recognize his own power because it doesn't feel to him like he has more power, but he does. And that is a fact that Ron has to deal with. And the other thing that I think could breed resentment, and we see that really come to bear in this book, is the romantic connection between Ron and Hermione, right? Mm. I think that they're not communicating clearly about their feelings for one another. And Because it's high stakes and because they're 14 and it's impossible to talk about feelings when you're 14, it's impossible. (laughs) So I think maybe those two things are what break the dynamic because Hermione and Harry, Hermione being the best student in ages and Harry being Harry, I think that to some extent their power is equal and they never fight really. I think that's so insightful. The fact that Harry has a place where he can excel, you know, Quidditch being key as well and the fact that he has money. Hermione is so bright and so talented. And Ron is kind of like, well, what what do I have? I can imagine that Ron really questions, like, do I deserve to be in this friendship? Like, why am I here? I was just that random kid who spoke to him on the train one time. Or the thing that I bring to this is my family. And, like, Fred and George are more fun. You don't even like me for me. Right. Exactly. And I think if there's not a way for you to be recognized and celebrated, it's very easy to fall down into that. And I think that's what I was getting at with my story with those pieces of art on the wall. 
luckily for me, there were other places where my grandmother and I would go for walks and she would tell me about the gnomes and the fairies that she really, truly believed lived in the garden. And I was like, oh, I just saw one. And she would be like, yes, you're the only one of my grandchildren who sees them or something like that. And that would make me feel really special. And without that, I think Ron, yeah, feels kind of worthless, you know. I have that problem with my boyfriend. He's, like, annoyingly talented at things. He plays the cello and the guitar and he sings. And he's an amazing cook and an amazing baker. And scientist. And a scientist. And, by the way, I'm the literary person, but he, like, has more poetry memorized than I do and can live translate it into, like, almost perfect meter and with rhyming from the German that he has memorized into English for me. And then we were in France for like a second and he started speaking in French. And I obviously knew that he spoke fluent German because he's from Germany. But hearing him speak in perfect French, I was like, I don't understand what I bring to this relationship. I mean, it was like, I'm a pretty self-assured person, right? And this is a man who like makes me feel loved and seen and beautiful. And I just had a complete meltdown because I was like, I don't understand (laughs) what I bring to this relationship. And we've figured out since then that I bring the charm. Oh, that is true. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it was the biggest fight we ever got into. And again, like, I, like, know my worth in the world. And it's just amazing how quickly those things can be taken away from you, especially when you're outside of, like, your home base or your domain. Well, I think that's super insightful because that's exactly what's happening in this chapter is that we are suddenly in this different set of rules, right? The Triwizard Tournament has come in and it's a completely different set of rules. And the fact that we're in this individually competitive space rather than a house competitive space Mm -hmm. breaks the connection that the three of them have and the houses have in general and tries to remake them around the schools. But of course, we know that there'll be two Hogwarts champions. So that's broken too. Well, the other reason that it's broken is because it's too divisive amongst the houses. I completely agree. If there was a Slytherin champion, I wonder if the school would really get behind them. Everyone would be for crumb. Right. And I wonder if it was a Gryffindor champion, if Slytherin wouldn't find a way to get behind them. I mean, that's why we end up with a Hufflepuff, so no one's too offended. <laughs> right. And like, bless his heart, but that's how we end up with like Tim Kaine on the ticket, right? <laughs> it's like, this is going to offend no one. And people find that boring eventually. And I am not comparing Cedric to Tim Kaine because my Cedric love runs deep as a Hufflepuff. But there is. I think that Hufflepuff plays this part of, like, not offending anybody. And that serves a purpose, but not enough of one. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. 
Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people. Not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. There's another moment in this piece of the chapter, Vanessa, that I want to turn to, which is that as the Great Feast starts, Dumbledore says, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, ghosts, and most particularly, guests, as he beams around to the foreign students. And on the face of it, this is like a welcoming, nice thing to say to people who are coming over for dinner, you know, for a year. But I actually thought it was really a shady move, because... If you have a guest, like, I would put them pride of place. I would say a few words about them and certainly put them first in that list of people that you're welcoming. But he's putting them behind the ghosts. He's doing some wordplay, but I feel like it's really like a slight and might lead to the resentments that start building around especially having the second Hogwarts champion, but even the fact that the students don't get told where to sit and kind of have to figure something out themselves that, I don't know, I just feel like there's not a lot of hospitality being shown. It's funny that you read it like that, and I don't disagree with you now that you point it out, but I read it for the first time giving Dumbledore the benefit of the doubt about pedagogy. He wants the students to make themselves at home, and Mm. so it's like, find your own seats. And I don't think he would want to create a separate table for them because he wants them to be sitting with other students. So maybe he could make an announcement of like, try to break up into groups of five and like spread yourselves out amongst the four houses. I think that I certainly would have done that, given them some sort of instruction. But the other thing is, is that it's only 17-year-old students who have come. That's true. So it's the adult students who have come, and you don't want to baby them. I agree with you that there doesn't seem to be a lot of hospitable effort put into welcoming them. And I agree with you that that can lead to resentment. It's like, I came all the way here and I'm cold. The other place where I saw Dumbledore's maybe poor planning leading to resentment is Filch is setting out the extra chairs very much at the last minute. As people already inside. And I was like, was Filch not warned that all these extra guests were coming? And like, did they bring in extra house elves? Because there are an extra like 25 people there. And Hogwarts is a teeny tiny school. And I just was like, poor Filch, he seems to have not been warned. Or has he been warned and he's just lazy and he's like, I'll I'll do the chairs later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe. But too much hospitality. I wonder if there would be sort of a resentment of the home 
students mm. because Ron is resentful that there's bouillabaisse on the table. He's like, what is that? And that is just something that really speaks to me. My family is very hospitable, except that when we had certain guests, I would be kicked out of my room. Me too. And sent to the couch. Me too. And so it was like, great. I'm glad we're so hospitable. But also... I have a backache right now. (laughs) Right. So I also wonder if there's a nice middle ground. And we see the seeds of resentment of, like, why is this disgusting food on my table? And Hermione is like, it's not that cold in here. Hermione particularly seems to be a little resentful. And I I wonder what that's about. Do you think there's a little pang of jealousy? Yes, I do. Ron is, like, so smitten with Victor Crumb and then with Fleur. That's true. He's just smitten with everybody. (laughs) He's smitten with everybody. (laughs) And she, I think, in this book is, like, really realizing her feelings for him. And he is just being completely absorbed in other things and is paying her no attention. Even if she didn't have feelings for him, it's hard when one of your best friends suddenly has all of these new interests. You're like, hey, what about me? So, yeah, I I think she's jealous. Well, the other place where I think we see that idea of newness replacing something old and established is the trio say, oh, it's Saturday. We haven't been to visit Hagrid yet. And so they go down to the hut. And the first thing he says is, I thought you'd forgotten where I live. He's been a little brooding on that fact that they haven't been. and Yeah, it drove me nuts. I know I've been, like, hating Hagrid the last couple of weeks. I don't hate Hagrid. I love him. If you miss someone, send an owl inviting them down to tea. Like, you can't just be sitting there and not communicating that you miss someone and then being like, where have you been? Like, children don't owe adults things. They are trying to grow and learn. And if you want certain things from kids, you have to tell them. I mean, if you want certain things from adults, you have to tell them. But if you're not communicating what you need, people aren't going to give it to you. And I just find it really manipulative when people test each other. And the irony is that as much as we love Hagrid, he then abandons the trio as soon as Madame Maxime is there. You know, he doesn't even look back, the text tells us. They're still waiting for him in his house. And he's like walking off to the Great Hall because she has arrived. So he's a little hypocritical in that. And even if it's a joking phrase that he says when they arrive, like, it's a little bit of hypocrisy. There's one other place in the text where I saw resentment where a similar theme maybe is happening, which is... You know, we always look at the trio as a complete trio. But suddenly I started thinking in the description where it tells us that they walk down to breakfast together on a Saturday, which means that they have met up in the common room and then like walk down to breakfast together. It suddenly made me realize that the three of them are actually really cliquey. This is a trio that no one else can enter, whether you're Neville or Lee Jordan or someone else. This is a very exclusive club. And it made me wonder whether other students kind of resent them for being so tight. Like, I know that that can happen when you look at other friends, you're like, oh, like, I'm not quite in that friendship in the way that they are. And even without meaning to, you can kind of foster resentment in that way. Yeah. And they might even see themselves as very inviting, right? Like if Neville was like, can I walk down with you guys? They would would say yes. And probably with excitement, be like, yeah, come. But the fact that it doesn't occur to them to like schedule Neville in or wait for Neville, I think gets to exactly that point. That you don't even know that you're breeding resentment exactly. when you are. That's what's hard. So what is it people's responsibility to constantly be thinking about that? Or is that sort of like on Neville to on theoretically Neville? I know we're imagining this into him. Is it the trio's responsibility to reach out to like 
everybody? What should the trio be doing differently? I think this is just one of those things that there isn't an easy solution for and that there's a responsibility on both sides, you know, for us to be open and welcoming. But also on the other side of things is when you're feeling resentful and there's not clear intent to, you know, be like the twins and forgive and let it go. I always think of that great Maya Angelou quote, forgiveness is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself. Forgive everybody. You are relieved of carrying that burden of resentment. You really are lighter, right? So like if we're the ones carrying it around, let it go. That's actually something that I think I'm really good at. You are really good at that. And it's such a hard line because you, I want to carry enough resentment <laughs> so that I don't let people walk all over me. Right. It's a constant balance. And and the other thing that happens is that I forgive and forgive and forgive and then somebody does a thing one too many times and then I feel like I snap where I'm like, okay, this is a pattern and I can't handle it and that's unfair to them because I have not warned them that I've been sitting here forgiving them. I just want to say that even as somebody who consciously is constantly trying to be like pretty good at that skill, it's still hard to thread that needle. Casper, I am very excited to welcome you to Pardes Land. <gasps> so a reminder to our listeners that Pardes is a four-step reading practice from the Jewish tradition. In Pardes, in Judaism, all letters have a number value, and then that number value is, means different words. And so Pardes, one of the roots of Pardes is orchard. And so the idea is that you can just reach up and grab a piece of fruit, and the fruit being a piece of text. And it doesn't matter what you grab for, it's going to be juicy and nourishing. And so we're going to do that. We're going to grab a piece from the text and we're going to engage with it with this four-step process, shot, remez, drosh, and sewed. It's similar to Lectio Divina in spirit, but it's actually quite different in nuance. So I'm really excited to do it. I think it's certainly my favorite practice to do live. Mm. It's so fun to do with like audience participation, but I love Pardes. Okay. The sentence is, People were cheering out in the entrance hall. Ooh, lovely. Can you just read it one more time? Yeah. People were cheering out in the entrance hall. Great. So, Casper, the first step of Pardes is pshat. And pshat is what is the intended meaning of the text? Well, it's this interesting moment because all the students, especially the Hogwarts students, are talking about who has put their name in to be the champion. We hear that there's this Slytherin called Warrington uh, who's probably put his name in. All the Hufflepuffs are talking about Diggory. And then suddenly there's there's this big cheer in the entrance hall because and we all kind of swivel around to see what's happening. And Angelina Johnson Gryffindor has put her name in for the running. Wonderful. A+. plus. So step two of Pardes is remez, and there are many different ways to do remez. It's where you start to encounter what the allegorical meanings of this sentence could be. But the way that we like to do it, which is a traditional Jewish way, is to pick one word from the text and sort of trace that throughout the seven books and try to figure out what this one word carries with it throughout the text, right? If you think of a word as sort of like a towel that soaks up all of these different meanings, what are all the different meanings that we can infuse this one word with? So why don't you read the sentence for us one more time, Casper, and then I will empower you to pick a word. All right. People were cheering out in the entrance hall. The word that really struck me first was entrance. Me too. Thanks, God. I was like, if he doesn't pick entrance, ugh. 
I mean, entrance is so vivid. You know, I'm just thinking of the whole Joseph Campbell kind of story structure, you know, crossing the threshold, entering a new adventure. The entrance hall is, of course, the first place that Harry walks into when he first walks into Hogwarts. The entrance hall is sort of like the holding pen right before you go into the Great Hall and get sorted. So it's this place of like right before you become a part of the community, you stand in the entrance hall. Right. Entrances are also exits. Like an entrance is always a transition. And so that goes two ways. There's Hagrid's big entrance into the books, right? Right. Where he like walks into that shack in the middle of the island. He blocks the sun, basically. He like eclipses the sun through his entrance. And then into Diagon Alley, like as Hagrid again kind of taps his wand and the wall moves and Harry walks into the magical world. Like that imagery of crossing thresholds, I think is also one that's happening right now in the book. You know, really, the first three books, although Harry certainly has encountered danger, this book itself is a threshold. It's an entrance into this next phase of his battle with Voldemort, where Voldemort is going to become embodied and regain his power. I just feel like there's a door through which they're crossing in this book. The other thing that's occurring to me about entrances in these books is that you often need passwords in these books to enter places, to enter Dumbledore's office, to enter the common rooms, or entrances are often hidden. You don't really know how to enter the other common rooms. Or how to get to which secret tunnel. Exactly. And so... We think of this book as sort of Harry's entrance into being an adult wizard because he shouldn't be able to enter this because he's a child, but he's thrust into adulthood early. And so, you know, the entrances are secret and you don't necessarily know that you're entering one and you don't know when you're going to enter one and you need a password for certain ones. Well, and I love that because he's literally being entered into this competition against his will. Yes. He's not entering it. He is being Being entered. Right. Right. And how different those two things are to enter yourself versus to be entered. Absolutely. Also, the entrance hall is the place where, in my opinion, the worst pedagogical thing is happening, which is it's where all of the counters are Mm. for how many points each house has. So I just think that every student walks by that with such a different experience of, oh, we're in last place or, yeah, I'm in first place or, you know, whatever feelings you have as you walk by that. It makes me think about the fact that entrances mean different things to different people. So, Casper, why don't you read the sentence one more time for us under Remez, and we see if we've infused this word of entrance with any new meanings and anything new comes to us. Sure. People were cheering out in the entrance hall. (gasps) Something did occur to me, which is that if people are cheering out in the entrance hall, maybe this is evidence that, in theory, the Triwizard Tournament is doing its job in that people aren't looking at the points counter. Mm. There, It doesn't say Gryffindors were cheering out in the hall. It's like general people, mm. even though it's a Gryffindor about to put her name in the cup. My reading was kind of menacing. I just suddenly saw all the danger that it means, you know, that we think of new beginnings as this hopeful time. And actually doing that reflection on just that word makes it feel much more scary. So I'm sure Angelina, on reflection, is maybe like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of glad I missed that shot. And that's so interesting because often I'll, in retrospect, be glad that I didn't get into something, Mm. right? I've applied for something and not gotten it. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. (laughs) 
Okay, so the next step of Pardes is drosh. And for drosh, what we ask ourselves is, if we were going to preach a sermon on this bit of liturgy, what would the sermon be? What is it that we would want to preach? And so I'll read the sentence so you don't have to read it every single time. The sentence is, people were cheering out in the entrance hall. Oh, I know what I would say. I think that the cheering here is premature. And I think so often we make big judgments about something that's happened in our lives before we know. My colleague has this phrase where she says, could be good, could be bad, too soon to tell. And it's so helpful because it it's a really useful block when I go down on like a negative mental train. I'm like, this is going to be bad and then that's not going to work and nothing's ever going to, I'm just going to eat ice cream. <laughs> Being able to say to myself, it could be bad, but it could be good too soon to tell. Like, I want to use that phrase more and more in my life. And I I feel like it reminds me of ancient Rome, give them bread and circuses, right? People cheering mindlessly at this competition of people killing each other in front of them, which on reflection, you're like, that is not okay. Yeah, I'm just worried that we cheer too quickly at things that might immediately gratify us. But in the long run, uh, uh, could be good, could be bad, too soon to tell. How about you, Vanessa? What What's the kind of mini sermon that you would preach? So I love your sermon. I think I like it because it's so ominous and I'm about to do something optimistic, which feels <laughs> like less authentic to me. But I'm somebody who really struggles with transitions. I just moved. How far would you say I moved? Like 200 yards? Maybe 300 max. Yeah, 300 yards. But it has completely changed my walking routine, right? I'm like, well, now what makes sense for me to go get milk? Does it make sense for me to go left or right? Whereas it was very clear before. Like any sort of change like that really stresses me out. And so this is people were cheering out in the entrance hall, just cheering entering something because sometimes you can't help it. You have to move. Things have to change. You have to say goodbye to something, which is, you know, a grieving process. But just cheering a change rather than like being overwhelmed by the anxiety of it, I think is something that I could use a sermon on. And it could be bad. It it could be good. It's too soon to tell. Absolutely. But once you've already entered the hall, like you might as well try to have a good attitude about it. That's really nice. So the last stage of Pardes is Sod. And Sod is, I think it's, you know, really the most mystical practice that we engage in on the podcast, because the idea of Sod is that the text has a secret to reveal to us. And so what we do is we give ourselves a moment of silence to reflect on the sentence and to see if a secret emerges. And a secret does not always emerge. And I don't think that it's ever because the text doesn't have a secret. I think that sometimes we're just not in touch with secrets. And it's not, you know, our fault either. But sometimes it doesn't emerge. Sometimes something really beautiful does. So, Casper, will you read us the sentence one more time? Then we'll take a moment of silence and see if a sode emerges. People were cheering out in the entrance hall. So, Casper, did a sode emerge for you? I feel like I got two thirds or maybe a third of a sode. That's great. You got a s. I got a s. I just suddenly noticed that within the word cheering, there's the word ring. And Dumbledore creates the age line, which is this golden circle around the Goblet of Fire. And I'm thinking about promises that we make that are, you know, especially in a wedding ceremony that are embodied in a ring and the kind of commitments that people make to each other. 
And I don't know what it means, but I'm just really thinking about this image of a ring. Well, I also wonder if cheering for someone is a kind of commitment, right? Because you're publicly saying that you're rooting for them, which means that you want them to succeed because you have risked a little bit of public support for them, right? Mm. And so you look like a fool if they fail or if they betray you. So I think cheering for someone is a sort of commitment. What about you, Vanessa? What did you see? What I saw was how we could change spaces, how a space can mean so many different things at so many different times. You walk through the entrance hall a million times, and it's just a way to get from Hagrid's hut back to the common room. Or it's a space that you walk by and, you know, you check the counter obsessively or you don't, right? So it both can mean different things in different times, and it can mean such different things to different people. And I think that often those are what fights are about, right, is... The statue means X to me and it means X to you. And we have to negotiate as a society what this space means and when it should change and when Mm. it should stay the same and what spaces should be hallowed and should be kept as is and what spaces, you know, we should be like, do you know what? This served one purpose, but now it's going to serve another I think that often when we're negotiating about space, we're negotiating about something much deeper within ourselves. Um, We're negotiating about history and who we want to honor and who we don't care about honoring. So, yeah, it's just made me think about Hmm. how many different things this entrance hall can be. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's time for this week's voicemail, and this week it's from Janelle Kramer. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. My name is Janelle Kramer, and I'm calling from Westminster, Colorado. I just finished listening to the episode on excitement And Vanessa, you were talking about how when things are theoretically supposed to be very exciting or there's a lot of hullabaloo around them, you act like everything is normal or that there's not a lot of excitement um, to be had, like it's just, you know, something else or just another day. Um, I recently found out that I'm pregnant and it's my first pregnancy. It's my first child. Um, 
it's the first grandchild on both sides. Everyone who I've told is very excited and I just am not excited. I really don't feel well. I'm still in the first trimester. Um, I'm tired all the time. I feel sick all the time. I'm excited is just not the word that comes up for me. And people in my family and other friends that I've told are very annoyed that I am not excited. Um, this is a planned pregnancy. It was not a surprise. Um, I'm fairly surprised that I'm not very excited, but I just am not. And, um, I wanted to, uh, I guess give a blessing to anyone who, uh, feels that they should be more excited when they aren't. Um, and I just want to say that all of your feelings are valid and it doesn't make, what you're going through or what you're experiencing any less meaningful. Um, Thanks. Janelle, thank you so much for that voicemail. I think that the more that we can normalize those feelings and, you know, like women experience severe postpartum depression and all of this, I really think is part of a systemic silencing of women. I think it's completely normal to not be excited about a pregnancy when you're mostly feeling sick. And I think that it's really important that we talk about these things. So thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your experience widely. Vanessa, it's time for us to bless someone. And I'm pretty excited about my blessing. So I'm going to go first. (laughs) One of my favorite things about blessing a character on the pages of the books is I end up looking for characters that I would have otherwise not seen. And in this chapter, we meet a young Durmstrang student called Polyakov. And after Karkaroff offers Crumb some warm, you know, mulled wine, is he hungry? Does he need anything? And Crumb's like, no, I'm good. Thanks. You know, chill. Polyakov says, I would like some wine, Professor. <laughs> and Karkaroff is like, not you, Polyakov. You've got food all down your shirt. You look a mess. And I'm like, oh, I know how that feels. So a blessing for anyone who, you know, is dinnerly challenged. <laughs> Thank you. That blessing was for me. <laughs> How about you? Who do you want to bless? I would like to bless Angelina Johnson for boldly putting her name in when other people were around. Harry assumes, and I think probably rightfully so, that a lot of people are putting their names in the Goblet of Fire sort of like late at night because they don't want people to see if they don't get it. And she is this like tall, athletic black woman. And I just think it's beautiful whenever a woman chooses to sort of like use her body in order to mentor in some way or normalize something. You know, not a lot of women are proudly putting their names in this goblet and she is letting the world see her do this. And yeah, I just think we need to watch women shine and she is having everybody watch her do this really brave, bold thing. So a blessing to women who are out there doing brave, bold things and letting everybody see how fabulous you are. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and leave us a review on iTunes. It makes us so happy. Send us a voicemail by recording yourself and sending it to harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com. Next week, we'll read Chapter 17, The Four Champions, through the theme of unity. This podcast is produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Tokyle, and Vanessa Zoltan. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we are part of the Panoply Network. You can find ours and other great shows on panoply.fm. This week's voicemail is thanks to Janelle Kramer. We'd like to thank Rebecca and Charlie Ludley, Stephanie Paulsell, Mike Motia, Amanda Morajon, and best friend of the podcast, Julia Argy.
Chapter 16, The Goblet of Fire. I don't believe it is. It's exciting. You know. I'm sorry. I'm going to try again. More dramatic this time? More. Give me more. 